Welcome to episode 30 of Highly Logical. We are a podcast dedicated to discussing Star Trek by the issues, and I'm Nicole. And I'm Angelo, and we are back after a two-week hiatus, uh, (laughs) which, you know, was the result of life happening and tasks No, 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 it was totally planned. You see, Rios reads the same book in both episodes, and that's our theme, so there you go. It's fine. It has nothing to do with us being lazy or irresponsible. So we are back. (laughs) <laughs> with a look at episodes three and four of Star Trek Picard. I know that episode five has just launched at the time that you are hearing it, but we have not had a chance to watch it yet, and we didn't want to watch it before recording this deliberately so that we didn't confuse it yes. among the other two episodes. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about The End is the Beginning, episode three, which was directed by Hanel Culpepper, as were the first two episodes, uh, and which was written by Michael Chabon and James Duff. And we're going to be talking about Absolute Candor, which is directed by our personal favorite, Jonathan Frakes, uh, and written by Michael Chabon. The themes that we're going to focus on for this episode, uh, there's a few that, or these episodes that cross, the themes that cross both episodes, (laughs) thank you. Um, We're going to look at Picard as a mentor figure. Uh, we're going to look at various ephemera that we've seen uh, in both episodes and elsewhere in uh, this series. Uh, class, drug use in the future, mm-hmm. uh, and a bit of a heavy theme for this show, Romulan culture and lore. So let's start with The End is the Beginning, a fitting place to start. I think so. <laughs> All right, so we start with a flashback that shows us... Um, in the aftermath of the synth attack, uh, Picard uh, tells Raffi, is talking to Raffi, his executive officer, um, about trying to convince Starfleet to c- continue with a new, you know, updated evacuation plan, given that these synths were kind of preparing for the Romulan evacuation. Um, he relays to Raffi that he said, you know, uh, you either have to agree to this plan or accept my resignation. He didn't expect them to, but they accepted his resignation. Rafi uh, alludes at some point later in the episode to the fact that she may have been paranoid about it, but she, at the time, suspected Romulan involvement in the attack, uh, and she was fired, presumably because she's, you know, on Picard's side and maybe was already kind of a, you know, paranoid conspiracy theorist on Twitter or something. Right, they're both, like, agitator figures, and so yeah. there's a sense in which Starfleet might have wanted to get rid of both of them. Exactly. Like, if they if they have to get rid of Picard, like, what's she gonna do? Like, she might cause a problem by being there and being loyal to Picard. Um, then we are in the present, and Picard is visiting Raffi, who he apparently hasn't fucking dropped a line to in ages. Um, <clears throat> she's, you know... Uh, jaded uh, and upset because her career was over, you know, after that. Uh, Picard has, you know, his lengthy career. He's obviously famous. We know he is. We know he has gone through all these things that makes him a great figure in Starfleet history, so his resignation is not a big deal. He also has that beautiful chateau to go back to where he makes delicious wine. Which he knew about at the time as well, right? He had a a retirement plan, presumably, in mind. Yeah, Um, Rafi did not. Uh, She clearly was kind of left left in the wilderness after being fired. Um, And she's pretty pissed off. 
uh, and mostly doesn't like him being there, although she does accept his gift of wine, because um, she's fucking, she's using everything, man. Snake leaf. It's the drug <laughs> of the future. Um, but she does recommend a pilot, Chris Rios, who we will also talk about. Um, yeah. Uh, Rafi's cool. Uh, a lot of people are upset about that, so we'll talk about that more later. A lot of people don't like that she calls him JL. I mean, it sounds kind of corny. It is tacky. I think what I take issue with and the people taking issue is the idea that, like, Picard would ever abase himself to allow someone to call him by a nickname. Like, that's not the problem. No. The problem is that the nickname sucks. Yeah, the nickname sucks. Actually, Picard is absolutely the kind of person who would let somebody call him a nickname if he had a certain affection for them. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the difference with Picard. I think if, like, Q was giving him a nickname, he would take issue with it. But if somebody who's, you know, a loyal officer has a nickname for him, I don't see why he wouldn't mm-hmm. accept that. Uh, people also seem to take issue with the fact that, like, they think Picard wouldn't have put Rafi in this position of, like, you know... She gets fired, and then he never reaches out to her. But I really don't think that's necessarily true. Um, she was mad at him, and she walked away from him, and that might be the last time they saw each other. Anyway, we're getting too into the themes, aren't we? I still need to summarize this goddamn episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, which is a word we see a lot in uh, online summaries of this show, because we're always meanwhiling over to the fucking lovebirds on the board cube. Oh my god, I'm so sick of it. Um, anyway... On the Borg Cube, Project Director Hugh, former Borg, yes, the the Hugh, uh, BFFs with Jordy. I hope that their BFFness comes to light at some point. Um, he's kind of uh, leading the project, and he takes Soji under his wing and allows her to meet this group of Romulan former drones, uh, among which is this... Um, I don't know, like, seer or, like, Romulan psychologist or... Anyway, somebody who was quite famous before being assimilated, and Soji really wants to talk to this person. And when she does, uh, this person calls her the Destroyer, uh, as well as, like, Sen Cheneb, which I guess is the Romulan version. I may have said that wrong. I'm so sorry, Romulans. Um, anyway, she calls Soji the Destroyer. She tries to kill herself. Soji uses this enhanced speed, which nobody seems to be confused about at all or questioning. They're just like, oh, yeah, that's normal. She goes Jason Bourne for a brief moment. Yeah, and, like, stops her. Um, and then we also see another incestuous love conversation between twin Romulans, Rizzo and Narek. Uh, where he, where she's basically just saying the same shit they've been saying, which is, you know, don't get too attached to her. Like, Ugh, I'm gonna do things my way if you don't get them done your way, etc. Ugh, anyway. Um, meanwhile, again, Picard, Laris, and Jabon are at the Chateau, just having a nice time when they're attacked by Jotvash operatives. Uh, I said that really weirdly. Uh, they kill all of them, and when they interrogate the last one who wasn't killed... Uh, He also calls Soji the Destroyer, so it seems like, you know, it's under pretty good authority that she's the Destroyer. Maybe. Two out of two Romulans agree. Two out of two Romulans agree, yes. Um, And then he also dissolves in a pool of acid. I'm kind of into it, honestly. Like, it's a little hokey, but I'm, like, actually really enjoying this acid firing. I love that they're just spitting acid and then, like, disintegrating themselves. It's fucking... It's kind of badass. Anyway. Um... We also see that Dr. Gerardi is approached mysteriously by a sunglass-wearing, sunglasses-wearing Commodore O, 
who wants to know what she talked about with Picard. Um, and it seems like we, we don't get to see their conversation, but we do see Gerardi show up at Picard's doorstep um, and, you know, asks to join the mission. And it's kind of presented as like, you know, she wants to see this android, uh, Soji, because she didn't get to see the last one. And something about the conversation with Commander O made her think that something was going on, that he was going to do some rebel rogue plan, and she wants to be in on it. So they all, you know, pack up their goodies and board the Rios' ship, uh, La Sirena, and find Rafi already there. Oh, surprise. Um, and she says that she believes that Bruce Maddox is on free cloud, and so she wants to hitch a ride. So Rafi wants to go to Free Cloud, which, like, what's Free Cloud? It sounds like some version of Woodstock, but, like, for the future and, like, has something to do with, like, the cloud that we're talking about right now. And, like, I'm curious about that. I'm picturing, like, Cloud City from Empire Strikes Back. Ugh. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Excuse me. Empire Strikes Back is good, I'll have you know. Um, So what happens next? I guess we should mention also that Picard gets to sort of marshal them to blast into warp at the end of the episode, right? The oh, yeah, he's, like, assembled. engaged. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to Free Cloud in the next episode, but they decide to make a detour first to a planet called Vashti, uh, where we get a bit of a flashback care of uh, Mr. Jonathan Frakes. Uh, we find out that this was presumably... I don't know if it was the planet, but it was certainly one of the planets that was earmarked for the Romulan relocation efforts. So the refugees were being sort of rerouted to this territory, and it seems like the settlement is kind of in place already, and it's going to eventually have more and more people being brought there. At least that's the plan in the flashback. Yeah, like this is maybe, this is before the synths attacked. Yeah. Um, He's got, you know... He's, he's relocating people to the planet, um, but eventually there's going to be many more because they've only just started the process kind of thing. Yeah, so he, he goes to this temple, which is run by a sect of warrior nuns. How cool is that? I'm about it. Uh, I mean, I like the idea of it. It, was, it doesn't really get past the idea, I think, because we don't really see a lot of their society, but we know that they follow this cultural practice called absolute candor which is to say of absolute candor yeah they they speak entirely what is on their minds they are basically anti-politicians they articulate everything that they are feeling as they are feeling it in a very kind of dry straightforward way so as to not leave things ambiguous which picard tells us is quite counter to the romulan way of life which of course is all about subterfuge yeah having one over on other people. Yeah, fits canonically, you know? Like, Romulans are very secretive, and they're always portrayed as, like, not revealing more than the absolute bare minimum and sometimes lying to do so. Uh, And so this is, like, the radicals of the Romulans. So while he is visiting these radicals of the Romulans, uh, he meets this boy named Elnor, who... Uh, is being kind of taken in provisionally by the warrior nuns Mm -hmm. with the understanding that Picard is going to help relocate him later to a more appropriate settlement. It's a little bit ambiguous to me why the admiral in charge of Starfleet's relocation effort is personally responsible for this one boy's relocation. Like, aren't there other officers doing this? Uh, Seems like kind of a waste. 
uh, to have only one person running this operation. It was just so we can see him bond over the three musketeers with this guy. Right. He gives him a copy of, he gives him like a vintage Earth Dumas. copy of, of Dumas' Three Musketeers. Yeah. Uh, and has a little bit of Arya Stark-style swordplay lecture mm-hmm. yeah. uh, work with him for a while, and, and which presumably shows us that Patrick Stewart still knows how to joust. He still knows how to pick up a sword now and again. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that will come back. Why else did we get this obnoxious flashback uh, to his sword fighting skills? I think it's kind of connected to later in the episode where he refuses to pick yeah. up a sword, which we'll get yeah, to. There is a moment later, yes. So I, I suppose we should jump to that moment. Um, in the present timeline, Picard goes back, he meets Elnor again. Uh, Elnor is Kind of like Raffi in the previous episode, a little yeah. bit pissed off that this ghost from his past yeah. who abandoned him to his own devices is here to say, hey, want to join me, but that's what he says. Yeah. Uh, and Elnor basically eventually agrees to join him. At first, he's a little bit reluctant. Uh, Picard kind of sweet talks him with stories of his old friend Data and how this mission is really important to him because his daughter is at risk. Uh, Elnor's like, yeah, I remember Data had a cat. I've never seen a cat. I'd I love to see. see I'd love to see some space cats. Who space cats become. Want to see space cats? Yeah, they become a subject of uh, of much much conversation, and then he ends up committing to him when Picard is attacked by some disgruntled Romulans at a bar. I mean, Picard kind of initiates this attack because yes, he, does, yeah. he sees this Romulans only sign in a bar, which, by the way. That could be interesting, but we have no idea what it means in this context. We have no idea what the demographics of this planet are. Yeah. So it's not clear to me if there's a kind of like apartheid our, situation going on here. Yeah, because like it, it's a very there's a very different meaning attached to a sign that says Romulans only. If you know, if they're the only ones living on the planet and they've just kind of been pushed here, moved here, dropped here, and like left uh, left alone, and they're just like trying to live on this really grimy planet versus like if there's more than one species living there and like they're in some kind of conflict with them like what actually Which would be is, Starfleet's fault if that yes. were what happened, right? Obviously, you know, there are global political analogies to be made here if that's what happened. Yeah. If the if the Federation simply arbitrarily decided that this already occupied planet was going to be host to yeah. the Romulan chosen people that they are rescuing, which doesn't really seem to be the case, right? Because no. the Federation hates the Romulans, so yeah. the analogy is a little bit strained. But we find out, you know, there are these presumably racist, uh, yeah. you know, Romulan suprem- supremacist Romulans who are disgruntled about Starfleet's abandoned effort. Picard gets into an argument with a former senator who said that he heard uh, Picard's speeches in the Senate. And he makes an argument that's kind of interesting, although I would like more context for it. Um, But he basically says Romulan self-sufficiency was what was needed to keep our people alive. And just when we most needed to have Romulan culture heroes and Romulan sort of taking charge of their own survival and, uh, you know, prosperity... What ended up happening was the Federation took over and then failed them. And so there was a kind of infantilizing moment when the Federation took over and then failed them, as colonial enterprises often do. So he's mad at Picard, but what do you know? Elnor joins the sword fight at just the right moment and decides to behead this man after giving him a warning. This black 
ex-senator. Which, again, we've said this before, right, but the racial politics in this future are... We're told that right race is no longer a thing, that species is the only thing, and even most species get along in this utopian future, yeah. although that tends to not really be true no. once we're off, uh, yeah. off the Federation planets and yeah. off uh, the ships. But here we really see where that becomes a problem, right? Where, you know, why is it that the senator who's arguing with him is a black senator, and yeah. why is it that he, of course, becomes the most expendable person yeah. who dies almost instantly after initiating this fight? Yeah. There, there are racial politics here that I think Michael Chabon and company, and possibly Frakes and company, need to think about, and I wish the show was better at it, but we're going to get to that later. Um, so, basically, they beam out in the middle of this fight. Mm-hmm. They've just killed the senator. They beam aboard. Picard left. tries to give a little wanky speech. It's not yeah. great. <laughs> It's not a good look. It's not a good look. They beam aboard the La Sirena, and Picard basically lectures Elnor and says, look, while you are in my service, while you have sworn fealty to me, and they have a little kind of ritualistic gesture, you can't just go killing people like that. We need to to be diplomatic. Meanwhile, there are a couple of meanwhiles coming up, guys. Uh, We find out that La Sirena is actually in the middle of a battle while this is happening, uh, and what do you know? There's a ship that is a helping them. Mysterious ship a helping mysterious them. Mysterious ship, and it turns out when they beam the captain of that ship aboard after because the ship is being destroyed and yeah. it's no longer going to be habitable. And hey, we need allies, right? We need allies, but it turns out the ally happens to be ex Borg drone Seven of Nine, who Woo! Picard knows, and who Seven of like Seven of Nine knows him and basically says like You owe me a ship, uh, yeah. and that's all we know about Seven of Nine. Meanwhile, guys, she passes out. She passes out. Meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, meanwhile, again, Ugh. we're aboard the Borg reclamation site slash which, Soji's love phallus. There, I have to say, there are like fifteen minutes of plot on these Ro- uh, Romulan Borg reclamation site scenes yeah. and. I do wish that maybe they figured out how to judiciously dole them out a little bit better so that yeah. it doesn't feel like, ah, we're back to the Borg reclamation site. Yeah. Uh, but we find out that, um, we, we find out a little bit more about the destroyer uh, accusation that she got the week before. Uh, and we find out about this Romulan ship that was assimilated assimilated by the cube, and that's why those Romulans were mm. uh, were in the room with the the, the Romulan prophetess, mm. uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, Narek, as nice as he is, says he's going to get her more information. But there's a kind of like double agenty moment where they're both like, "I don't trust you. I know that you." are hiding things from me and vice versa. I mean, of course he's a Romulan. They're all shady, except for the absolute candor espousers. And then we get a message from Narek's big sister, presumably, Rizzo, Mm. who is not even bothering with the the fake ears anymore, Mm. uh, and says, you know, he's got a week to get the location of the other synths from Soji, uh, and if he fails at that, she's going to get involved, and he won't like it when she gets yeah. involved. Yeah. So, let's go back to the previous episode, the third episode. We were talking about this already, but let's talk about it more formally. People online, uh, this episode was not super well received, and part of the issue was people were saying, like, Picard is not really Picard. Picard seems too much of a jerk, right? Like, Picard would never have abandoned Raffi to her own devices. It was out of character for him to do that. I think we liked it as Nicole was suggesting earlier. For me, 
this really <laughs> this rang some bells as you know someone who was an academic for many years and you know, never say never maybe I will return, but it it really feels like what we're seeing is someone who's a superior in a kind of Ivy League institution whether it's the Federation or academia, uh, in this case it's the Federation. But he was a superior. He had an authority relationship with this person who was also friendly with him, and then when that pretense disappeared, and he felt personally ashamed by his own treatment Mm -hmm. by his bosses he just kind of disappeared it was too shameful to accept responsibility for the mentee in this situation so for me it actually there is a kind of class analogy in thinking about whether it's the academy or whether it's the military the navy i'm sure this is not the first time that we've had a superior kind of disown someone who is a subordinate if yeah. the operation didn't go as planned. It's too embarrassing for him to accept that he might have some responsibility for this person who now becomes expendable. So mm-hmm. while we like Picard and we, you know, we have a lot of respect for Picard as a character, I thought this was actually a plausible way of treating some yes. of his failings as an adult and as a mentor. Absolutely. Like he like Picard has always been a very powerful man. In, in this future, like Star Trek and f- Money has always been a fucking confusing issue, so we don't really know if he's what you would call rich, but we do in a way. He has some power. He has power. He has notoriety. He has this estate where he grows all these fucking grapes for his delicious wine, um, and he sells that presumably or trades it. I don't know, but like yeah. he has assets, whereas Raffi doesn't. And as much as Picard is, like, a good man and who thinks about people and who cares about people, he has his own worlds around him that he can go to. And after being fired from Starfleet, which is a huge shock for him, he didn't expect that, or accepting his resignation, rather, he didn't expect that, he has a fallback. He has something he can go to, and that's always in the back of his mind. And, and it's he knew not he'd his go ideal. There. Yeah, and it's We've, not his he's ideal seen that future. Yes, exactly. It's not his ideal future, but it's it's a, an option. And so, when you have that kind of narrow view, even if you're a very good person, it can be very hard to see what the worldview of somebody next to you is when they just don't have anything that you have. Rafi is presumably not some famous, and like certainly isn't now, as we can tell, but she wasn't some famous officer who, you know, whose name is known throughout the galaxy, who, and 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 presumably also doesn't have anything inherited from her family, like an estate. She is just a scrapper who got into Starfleet and being fired has completely decimated her life. She ends up on this, on this world, and like, yeah, like you said, Picard's too ashamed to reach out to her. And after enough time, if you're too ashamed to reach out and you're living your own life, you're going to kind of forget and you're going to kind of not realize and not see the day-to-day of another person going through their shit. I think it's very plausible. I think people who think it's not plausible don't... maybe aren't as aware of the fact that wealth, including power um, and assets, like, it does narrow your worldview. It does limit what you can see in other people. And, like, Picard always strives to see more, but, like, he has a privilege in this situation that made it so that he didn't see what, what Rafi was going through. And it's clearly a pattern, right? So I think, to their credit, the writers, um, acknowledged that, you know, if we're gonna suggest that Picard in his old age is forgetting his old friends or kind of, you know, I got mine, 
things didn't go well for me. I'm going to retire and do what I also do well uh, at and, you know, forget about the people who also didn't make it under my watch. We see that he's done a similar thing um, to, why am I forgetting his name, Elnor, Mm -hmm. uh, who also feels betrayed. You know, you gave me this book as a child. You taught me sword fighting. You promised me you were going to come back and relocate me. What happened to that? The operation didn't go well, and then you never spoke to us again. Mm -hmm. And he brings it up in the context of Data, right? Like, Data is your preferred son. Uh, When Data died, that became a hugely traumatic moment that you still speak of with, with tears in your eyes. What about me? You know, like, you forgot about me. My planet was destroyed, and I never got relocated. I was abandoned at this monastery. You know, what responsibility do you have for, to me that you only come back when you need a favor? And I think there's a kind of institutional critique of, uh, I don't know if it's, like, specifically racially coded, but I think that reading is available mm-hmm. in both of these exchanges, that he's a white authority figure who, as benevolent as they are, as much as we might like good white liberals, right, mm-hmm. when push comes to yep. shove, um, they have a certain privilege, including myself in the they. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a kind of privilege where, you know, they can they can take or leave their less privileged allies, and that is something that Picard has done. He has sort of been like, well, you know, I did my best for you, it didn't work out, I have to tend to my wounds, and you can kind of figure out what you're going to do about the situation. Mm-hmm. And I found that plausible. Mm-hmm. The one issue I think needs some pushing back on or needs some fleshing out from the part of the writers, and Michael Chabon has been trying to do this. Michael Chabon has been very talkative about this show <laughs> and has been like really responding to a lot of the criticisms. I would argue a little bit better than the Discovery writers did mm-hmm. in the past. The Discovery writers were maybe a bit more defensive, whereas Chabon, I think... I think likes, he's, yeah, invested in what he's doing. Yeah, and he, like, really wants you to know what he thinks about the... Like, he really wants to give you extra textual material, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe didn't make it into the actual text, which, you know, maybe is also annoying. I, I don't know. I go back and forth on whether I think it's annoying. <laughs> um, but one of the issues that came up online that I am sympathetic toward is that if you're going to suggest that the future no longer is this post-scarcity world that we know the next generation is, right? We knew from the next generation and beyond, I think we knew even from the original series, right, that Earth has gotten its shit together, Uh, we no longer have poverty, we no longer have racism. Obviously those things, it's kind of, it strains credulity that that is true, Mm -hmm. but we need to know why those things have come back up, and I think it's plausible that they've come back up. I think it's plausible to say that, yeah, it looked like everything was solved from the perspective of people who were privileged, from the perspective of most of the unreliable narrators we've had talking about how the future is great, the Federation has solved everything. Well, we don't really get the people who are failed by that, right? Like, we don't get their alternate perspective on things, and now we do via Rafi, who doesn't have a farm. I do just want there to be a bit more text there. Like, I want there to be more there, there. Has it always been the case that people like Picard have had chateaus that they can go back to, and people like Rafi, who are officers who have devoted themselves to the cause, who are war veterans, right, presumably, don't have something to come back to afterward. And so that suggests to me that class is alive and well, that racial disparities are alive and well, that all of these terrible things that we think that we've moved past are still in the future in Star Trek. I think it's absolutely fair and plausible to say that, like, substance abuse, of course, still exists in the future. Oh, yeah. Poverty and class disparity still exist in the future. Of course it does. But I want 
a little bit more fleshing out of that world so that we understand yeah, it. Yeah, like, I'm more curious about it, and I feel like just touching on it this lightly, uh, like, you can read a lot into it, but I, I would like there to be more in the text about it. Like, yeah. I think it's an interesting uh, point of view. And also, I find it very odd that people are like, oh, there won't be drug use in the future. And it's We already know that there is drug use. There's right? drug use there's a chateau right now. That, yeah, that Picard runs. All, yes, there's a chateau where he sells real wine, not synthahol, you know? And, and also, like, we're developing vape pen technology right now. People have been doing drugs forever. People are still fucking doing drugs all the time. God, so many cokeheads I know, man. Sorry. Um, but, like, it's just, why wouldn't there be? Yes, maybe it's the kind of future where people don't feel that they need to. If, if everybody's so happy-go-lucky in Starfleet, maybe they aren't using drugs. But if you're fired from Starfleet, what happens? Like, what do you do? How do you fill the hole? Snake leaf, obviously. Yeah, and I, I take your earlier point where you were like, I'm not really sure what Picard is doing with all that wine. I think, again, that's a vagueness that I would like to see addressed, yeah. right? He has a chateau. He's Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> you know, Francis Ford Coppola famously reinvented himself as this guy with a winery, and that's how he funded a lot of his recent work uh, because he, you know, he was running out of money, right? It was, he, was, he was struggling to pay for his movies, and now he's able to pay for whatever the hell he wants because of that. I would like to know... You know, what's the situation here with Picard? Is he just giving them out for free to anyone who asks? It's an interesting question. You know, like, what the economy of this is. Who is he supplying it to? Yeah. If people request it, like, who are the people who request it? Who are the people he gives it to? Yeah. What, what is he getting in return for doing this? Does he get nothing in return? Is this, like, a philanthropic wine? Yeah. Fuckery. Um, but to speak to your other point, right, he... We know that people prize authentic stuff still. We know that people prize the real intoxicating deal, right? This came up in, in the episode Family of TNG, right? That synthahol is no substitute for actual alcohol. Yeah. Right? So that's already baked into Star Trek that yep. there is the potential for substance abuse, of course, and substance, substance use we already see. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily at all a betrayal to suggest that there are still people who are abusing drugs in different ways because it's sort of built into the conceit that we've developed something better that never gets you drunk. Yeah, but who cares? Maybe people still want to get drunk mm -hmm. uh, or still want to vape. And I, I didn't have a problem with the vape except that maybe, you know, it's not terribly futuristic, and this maybe gets us to another point we we're going to make about ephemera, Yeah, uh, which is that we've seen a vape pen. We've seen uh, twice the tragic sense of life. Right, the book that Rios uh, is reading. The book Rios is reading. You know, Picard gave the three musketeers to Elnor. Commander O is just fucking rocking the shades, Terminator style. Yeah, she's got, like, 90s baby wayfarers. <laughs> um, what do we make of this? Like, there seems to be an effort to show us that stuff that we know now exists into the future. Obviously, with O, there's a story reason for that, right? Like, yeah. probably it's going to be revealed that either she's got a mirror universe, like, light sensitivity, or she's not really a Vulcan. Surprise, surprise, she's not really a Vulcan. Like, of course she's probably not a Vulcan. Something sketchy's going on there. We all know it. The yeah. sunglasses have something to do with it. But why the fixation on stuff? I think it's, I think it's an interesting path to take, because, you know, it, it, it suggests, like, 
like I think it might be having a conversation with what the show is exploring in terms of class and possession, um, you know, because Picard does own this winery. He's got this winery. He has his wine. Like, these things belong to him. Um, there has to be belonging in the future. Um, so maybe these are just examples of people wanting to own things, wanting to have assets, wanting to have things that aren't just replicated. Um, and I also just don't think it's that unusual. Like, I think it's something I didn't expect to see in Star Trek, but I'm not unhappy to see it. Right now, you know, like, we have fucking devices that can hold thousands of books, but still, people buy physical books all the time. There's something produced about it, there's something human about it, um, and, you know, people like to own the thing that they love. If they love a book, they might want to own it. Um, you know, if, if she wants to vape her snake leaf, you know, she's gonna get a sick vape pen for it. Um, I just don't think it's that unusual, and I think it's interesting to put it in, because it's kind of more humane, in a way. It's, it's speaking more to who we are at this time. Um, you know, all of us are still holding on to physical media, even though, like, fucking me and Angelo buy so many Blu-rays, even though we have every fucking streaming service out there, guys. Blu-rays are beautiful. Uh, and, like, there's an, a craftsmanship that goes into it, and I think that connection to the winery is significant as well. Because, like, there's a craftsmanship that goes into the wine. They talk about how it has flavor versus synthahol. It has n notes and textures and and different moods associated with the different types of wine or whatever, types of grapes. I don't know. I don't, I don't run a winery. I don't have that kind of money. Um, but yeah, like, I think it's, it just makes sense to have that there, and it's the kind of thing where if we held on to this idea that in a Star Trek future there's no ephemera and we don't own things and, like, people don't have books that aren't on pads, um... It just does seem kind of unrealistic. How do you hold to that? It also reminds me of, like, one of the arguments made for data in Measure of a Man, right? Speaking to your point about how it's a human trait, is that he keeps his medals, right? He keeps mm -hmm. the medals that uh, show that he's, you know, gone above and beyond the requirements of a Starfleet officer, and he keeps physical mementos related to people he loves, including Tasha Yar, who he's had an intimate moment with. And so the suggestion there, right, is that the the most human thing about this artificial intelligence is the desire to keep things, the desire to have assets, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we are post-scarcity. Yes, we are post-commodity culture, so to speak. Uh, but it's always been there in Star Trek that people still like to have things, that people still like to memorialize uh people and events in their lives through things. And Picard is another good example of that. It's an episodic show. It's not a show, uh, the next generation, I should say, is not as serialized as something like Deep Space Nine or mm -hmm. Discovery is. However, we get callbacks to the inner light via the flute that Picard has kept. So mm -hmm. we've always had in Star Trek this sentimental association um, between memories and the things that, that serve to kind of memorialize them mm -hmm. uh, and bring them back to people's attention. So Yeah, and I think even, um, I think Data even has a book that he keeps that Picard gave him. 
And he has the right? paintings, right? Yeah. The paintings that he's done of yes. his daughter. Yeah. And he uses oil paint. Like, presume, like, listen, y'all, I have an iPad. I don't need fucking any oil paint. I can draw whatever the fuck I want on my iPad, but I still want to use oil paint. So does Data. He made an, he, they mentioned that it's an oil painting, okay, y'all? They do. He uses oil paint. That shit's fucking toxic. And, like, it's, it's man-made. It's handmade. You can't just replicate oil paint, um, in my opinion. Um, and so, like, there is some attachment to physicality, even if it's not monetarily based. Uh, I think it's a very human trait, and I think that allowing it to exist in this world is interesting, and I think it's also interesting to see it mostly outside of the sort of bureaucratic version of the Federation. Because, mm-hmm. like, you see so much less of that ephemera on a starship, but you do see it in, like, the, the homes, the... the what, are, what do they call their, like, homes, their apartments on a ship? Quarters. Quarters. They keep these ephemera in their quarters. Like, this is a thing that, that characters do. And so there's something interesting in this show about how all the characters we see with this ephemera are outside of Starfleet, except for Commander O, mm-hmm. um, which makes it more apparent in a way that it makes it's, it more of a plot thing. It makes it more of like an unusual, an unusual thing. Whereas for the other characters to have books or vape pens or whatever, it's, it's, it makes more sense for them to do that. Yeah. And I think we can connect this to Picard himself, right? Picard is wearing a jacket in this fourth episode. Uh, It seems strange to fixate on this jacket, but the jacket is a kind of, like, grayscale, upscale leather version of the famous, like, Picard pajama coat that he starts wearing. I can't remember if it's season three or four, but apparently Patrick Stewart was, like, annoyed that his his costume was so tight Mm -hmm. uh, when he had to do, like, action scenes. So they, they designed this coat for him. Uh, I think they designed two versions of the coat. One of them does have a kind of leatherized or, like, pleather uh, top part to it. But the outfit that he's wearing is, like, a black and gray version of that outfit. And it makes me think that, like, he specifically buys these bespoke suits that recall his Federation outfits, right? And it's a trauma for him. He doesn't want to go back to the Admiral's uniform, which, by the way, we like the the Starfleet uniforms in the future. Oh, yeah, really, really lovely. Uh, that we see in the third episode, right? But he's kind of imitating the style of it in his clothing, and I wonder if that's another deliberate callback, right? That outside of the Federation is where you start seeing people sort of go back to their trinkets and go back to the things that matter to them. I think that's true of Rios as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, His fixation on books of existentialist literature seems to be connected to the fact that he has this past life in Starfleet, and now he's become... Uh, this Ahab-like uh, mm-hmm. free agent, basically, yeah. who's no longer uh, affiliated with them apart from these, like, cargo runs that and he makes. And it's in character for him as well because he's very antagonistic toward the hologram on his ship. Or the yeah. holograms. I don't know if it's multiple holograms or one hologram. We differed on this. I thought it was one, but you thought it was multiple. Um, Someone will correct us about this yes, and tell us the real Yes, please tell us how many holograms. How many holograms can you fit in La Sirena? <laughs> Um, I feel like it will be clarified at some point. I'm sure. Uh, your instinct that it's it's one and he has several forms is probably I mean probably correct. Yeah, and then this has brought up a bunch of theories online, where people are like, you know, 
Rios, and I kind of suspected this too, honestly, but, like, the idea that maybe Rios himself is a hologram. Yeah. And that him reading this book uh, is him trying to be more human, a la Data. Oh, he does have a few, so I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm oh. looking at Memory Alpha here. He's got an EMH. He's got an ENH, which is the Emergency Navigational Hologram, and he's got the EHH, which is the Emergency Hospitality Hologram. So oh my God. they are distinct identities. Um, we don't really have a lot of that, which maybe this could be a segue. We were saying when this show started and when, when we came back that we had this feeling that the show was going back to the roots of Star Trek. Star Trek, we said is often at its best when it's thinking about artificial intelligence and synthetic life. Some of the best beats across all of the series are about thinking of what distinguishes us from machines that we make, if anything. Uh, at what point is a creation uh, able to sort of come into a will of its own or an mm -hmm. identity of its own? And we'd been sort of thinking that some of that is falling away, right? That Romulan lore has taken over a little bit some of the sort of secret society stuff that we saw uh, in in the second episode, and now with the 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 way of absolute candor, mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm ever opposed to lore. I like lore in science fiction. I feel like we need more of it. I feel like that's where Star Trek Discovery really oh. struggled in comparison, and and they tried right with the logic extremists mm -hmm. uh, among the the Vulcan society, but I don't know that that really made a lot of ideological sense to me. No, but I guess we do still have elements of. Uh, the future of artificial intelligence in, in Rios, right? This is the first... I guess we did briefly see an EMH or, or a hologram archivist, right? Yes. When Picard was, was going to look at Data's painting. But this is the closest we've gotten to a revisitation of uh, whether holograms have rights. This is sort of going back to the Voyager discourse with the mm -hmm. Doctor. Um, what do we make of it? Like, is it interesting the way that they're pivoting from artificial intelligence to this kind of, like, ancient cultural lore, or are we kind of hoping... Like, we have Hugh as a representative of this yes. other side, or the, the kind of bridge between the two things, but so far I feel like it's kind of not delivering on the promise that it, it, it came with in the first episode. Yeah, it does feel like it's, it's more focused on Romulan lore than I expected it to be, but the thing is, is that the show has been... Building ideas, it has been presenting things that are unexpected, you know, providing us with a lot of good story and plot. So I want to trust that it's going to get there, honestly. And, like, there's every episode has a little bit of, of it going on, you know? Like, the archival hologram, the holograms on Rio's ship, uh, the introduction of Seven of Nine at the end of the last episode... Um, Hugh on the Borg ship, of course, Soji, like, those elements are all still there. Mm -hmm. And because I trust this show, whereas, you know, in the past, I've not trust the show I'm discussing, we all know. We all know. Um, but because I trust the show, I feel like they're, they're coming to it. They're, they're getting there. And what I want to think is that it's, it's a symptom of the fact that synthetic life has been banned, that, you know, research on synthetic life has been halted, and this has been the case for many years, because we saw that decision made in a flashback. You know, the same day Picard accepted his resignation was the day that synths were banned and that mm -hmm. research was halted. 
Um, the Federation moves fast. They really do. They move instantly. Uh, so I, I really do feel like with all these disparate elements, like because synthetic life is, is banned, there's only so much of it that can come out in the open. Yeah. Um, you know, we see this archive hologram, which, you know, holograms are the one thing in the Federation that we still see, presumably because they don't have a physical, uh, form, like they're only visual. And so they can be controlled more. Yeah. Um, and you know, Seven of Nine is out in the fucking wilderness just hitting ships that are deigning to attack She's the like cards. She's like a pirate now. She's a fucking pirate or something. I'm very excited to see more of her. Uh, so I do think they're getting to it. I think it's interesting that Hugh, for example, is like an ex-drone um, and like he's leading the project and so mm-hmm. like he seems to have some level of respect uh like, how far does it go? Does somebody like Seven of Nine, who still has her implants, get more, you know, um, prejudice? Yeah. Uh, are people like Hugh experiencing that um, from some directions and not from others? Is there, like, you know, arguments happening in liberal Federation land about whether yeah. Hugh is, deserves personhood or not? Like, are all these... You know, are the cases with Data and Maddox coming back in conversations again amongst, you know, Federation uh, intellectuals? Um, I think there's a lot of substance, like, you know, simmering beneath the surface. Um, So as much as they've gone away from that direction, I want to trust they're going to go more in that direction. As for the Romulan stuff, again, like you, I enjoy lore a lot, and I enjoy being interested in how um, a culture might form in the future or how we might discover cultures that are different from our own and, like, ways of being that are different from our own. Um, But I do think that the Romulan stuff is maybe not the best stuff in the show. Certainly not when it comes to the Romulan twins. Mm -hmm. My God. Oh, my God. I just want them to stop talking. Shall we hear about... uh, Shall we talk about... Problems, outstanding yes, yeah. problems that outstanding we have. Problems. On that note of potential with the artificial intelligence stuff, and from what I've heard about the new episode, it does delve into some uh, universe updating with respect to the Borg and X Borg in particular, like mm. Seven and Hugh. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, stuff we still don't like. Uh, starting with the 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 Romulan incest twins. Oh. Uh, that's a plot that sort of. I feel like that maybe makes sense as an idea, but we've we've seen the same scene three times now yes. over three episodes, and yeah. it's, we don't. It was need- all right the first time, and yeah. the second and third times, it's really getting irritating. And you know, it really does feel when I'm watching those scenes, I feel like I'm watching Discovery again, <laughs> really, because it's just like them bantering in these really weird ways. It kind of reminds me of uh, Jason Isaacs and his. Uh, uh, Commander Landry, I think her name was the 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 mirror universe mm, evil, mm. Uh, you know, suspicious people afoot on the Discovery. Like it, it's something that maybe again works as a conceit, but you actually have to do something with it. Yeah, like it, there's just every conversation is almost the same. It's just like, oh, I want to do my thing, mm-hmm. and like your way is just like so. Like you're just trying to romance the robot, and like you know, I want to do it my way, and you only have a week to do it now, yeah. and all this bullshit, and I'm so fucking tired of it, and I realize 
that, you know, she probably has this deadline from Commander O, and so yeah. she's trying to push him to meet the deadline as well. But, like, that being said, this is television. Like, you can't just fucking show us the same shit over and over again. It's like we're getting reminders on our phone, right? Like, yeah. Narek has five days to solve the Soji problem. Yeah. Narek has four days. Like, we got it. We got it. Please entertain us, because this is television, and it's Star Trek. Soji also, I have to say, is a bit of a bust so far. Oh, God. And it really feels like she was introduced to us as a plot development. We, mm-hmm. The actress is fine and was good, I thought, in the pilot as... Uh, I'm Dodge. Right, Dodge, thank you. And I like the conceit of the kind of the, the disappearing girl and help. Like, there was a kind of neo-noirishness about mm-hmm. it. And it sort of raised the genre specter of mystery, which is something that TNG has certainly dabbled with before, as has Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of like that. And I, I like the doppelganger stuff in theory, and I think there are genre precedents for it. But her plot is just like, there's so little there. Oh, or so the flip side is, maybe there's a lot there, but they're teasing it over the course of ten episodes yeah. or whatever, and it just feels like there's not enough material for ten. So Yeah, like, I don't feel like I'm getting to know her at all, and I realize that we're supposed to be... You know, that there's a twofold thing going on here with that, which is that the people on her ship presumably don't know she's a synth. And she doesn't know she much doesn't about know. herself either, including that. We know. Yeah. The audience knows. Uh, but then also there's more to her that we aren't supposed to know, right? So I'm yeah. sure it's a fucking plotting nightmare for the writers. But unfortunately, you know... They made that nightmare for themselves. And so when you make a nightmare for yourself in in writing a TV show, you're responsible for making the character work in it. And I just don't yeah. think she works. I don't think she's interesting. Uh, I think the fact that she has this weird relationship with a Romulan is just bizarre. Like, maybe I just don't like her, you know? Maybe yeah. she's just like, if I was working with her, I'd be like, I'm fucking <laughs> don't like you. I also... I also think it's unfortunate because they've they've given her like she's like a cultural anthropologist who yeah, wants to. It's a good plot. She wants a to good, help. Good back. Good. I don't know. Yeah. There's a some sketch good there. of a plot. She she like wants to give these traumatized ex Borg drones who are Romulans uh, a shared language and culture. It's like art therapy, right? She she wants to go through art therapy as a way of bringing them back from the brink. And there's something interesting there, maybe. Uh, but I just feel like the the concept is interesting, but there's not really a coherent way of developing it, and the character herself is a little bit flat, partly by design, partly, I think, because she's a device, right? She's yeah. a device. They're all looking for her. She's the MacGuffin of the show. Yeah. And so I don't think we really need to see her, period. I think yeah. she might work better as a MacGuffin that they're trying to get to rather than yeah. as a character that we're getting to know. Yeah. Because we, I, I feel like I haven't gotten to know her. Yeah. Like, like I'm confused why, I, she made that one call asking about her sister, but mm-hmm. other than that, there's just no connection to her and her sister and her, her family. Her family life is very vague, and like, not just because it's vague to the character, but also it's like, you feel like they didn't want to look into it too yeah. much for fear of tripping themselves up exactly. in logical problems. Exactly. Like, that's what it really feels like, and I think... You know, in a way, that's the better path than what Discovery did, which is tease every mm-hmm. five seconds, uh, which just made it so, like, boring in a way. Like, just every fucking second was like, oh, something mysterious. Oh, something mysterious. I also think one difference between the two of them is 
with Discovery, I don't think in episode one they knew who the Red Angel was. Here, I think they know what Soji's deal is, yes. and they're just slow dripping it, which yes. I don't like either, but I prefer I it like to... I like a slow... Hey, listen, I like a slow drip, and you know it when you make me pour over coffee. <laughs> but I... It's not... I don't think it's that it's a slow drip, you know? I think it's that... Like, they're dripping too much and then taking, then turning it off, you know? Yeah. And then they'll pour more out and then turn it off again. Like, mm-hmm. and, and the stuff they're pouring out is the same stuff, generally. Like, actually, in the episode, I don't remember which of the two it was, actually, but the one where she is talking to this Romulan, that was maybe her most interesting scene because mm-hmm. she got to talk about, you know, she, we got to see her, like, wanting to do this art therapy shit, uh, we also, like, saw this scene where she's saying things that she maybe shouldn't know, mm-hmm. which Hugh brings up, and he's, like, the director in charge, so, you know, it's actually, like, there's something interesting happening there with these these Romulan characters being able to play off of it as well. Like, I don't know, that, that was maybe semi-interesting. I'm just tired of, like, Narek and Soji being, like, I don't know enough about you. No, I don't yeah. know enough about you. Oh, I have a crush on you, but I don't really know you that well. Oh, I don't really know what your deal is, but, like, kind of hot. Like, I'm so yeah. <laughs> over it. Like, listen, y'all. We left that shit behind with, like, fucking Breaker Hot in 2002, okay? Like, let's leave it. I was going to say, it reminds me of bad Star Trek romances past. Yes. It reminds me of, like, Seven and Chakotay, which is unconvincing. Why like, would you ever remind me that that was Neelix, real? Neelix and Kess. Oh! I'm so sorry I'm doing this, but that's kind of the tradition it reminds me of, where it's like, I don't know, do we need this? Do we need this much of it? Um, Not to say that it's impossible to have a good romance on Star Trek, and I happen to feel that um, Riker and Troy are pretty Mm -hmm. well-developed, Worf and Jadzia are pretty well-developed. There are relationships that work, but this feels to me like one that doesn't work. Kira Noda. Kira Noda, yeah, it's a good one. Um, So I hope that they recalibrate a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing we wanted to talk about was the violence against black characters, which is becoming a bit of an epidemic at this point. Yeah, we're still continuing our portion of the evening where we discuss what we don't like about the show, and we definitely don't like this. And it's it's very... I think the, the frustrating thing is that it's so basic like it's just this basic thing that's been going on which is just that black lives have been expendable in the show um the very first scene right of the show was dodge in her apartment with her black also alien boyfriend um so maybe there's some alien connection but but really there isn't but like he is very quickly like shivved in the stomach and or in the chest and and dies and is just bleeding out on her floor. Really violent death. And there only seems to be one main black character as of right now uh, in the cast, Raffi. Um, so we've got this boyfriend and like his incredibly violent death right off the bat. We don't get to know him at all um, or barely. And then the ex-senator. Did I mention the ex-senator? I don't remember. I anyway. think we started with him. But w- there were also members of the crew in the, the in synth, the synth revolt, attack. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. Um, and so all the deaths against black bodies have been very violent. The vast majority of black people we've seen on the screen in the show have met violent deaths. 
Um, and the fact that Rafi is one of the crew members makes it maybe worse rather than better. Who knows? There's no real way to say There's it. There's also no, the way that the, the pilot kind of uses the black journalist as, like, the figurehead of yes, all the people yeah. doubting Picard. It kind of reminded me of, it, like, I think we said this before, but it's like a movie trope at this point where, like, in Magnolia, the journalist who's interrogating Tom Cruise is a black woman in the Xavier Dolan movie that came out last year, which is full of genre tropes. Tandy Newton plays a journalist who is endlessly interrogating the the wily and, like, rebellious... Uh, artist and mm-hmm. and so I don't know. There's just something we we do have like the director of the first three episodes is a black woman, so perhaps you know maybe it's not my place to make these kinds of comments. But I think there's something happening at the script level. Yes, in the use of like which care in the decisions about like which characters are expendable. Yes, in this narrative yep. and how violently should we treat characters who are expendable? And yeah. there's just something that doesn't quite scan there that I'm hoping we can kind of do away with or course correct. Yes, and I think what makes it so glaring in a way, um, well, it, it does. It What really makes it glaring, we're, you know, I shouldn't even say that because the, the violence in itself is glaring and terrible and, like, this is fucking straight-up racism. But what makes it so glaring for me, I guess, as, like, this white Star Trek fan is that Star Trek has always been at least interested in in representing race in a better way it it wants to and like you know the tng it had two black crew members uh both of which got more development wharf of course more so than geordie but you know they both got a lot of development ds9 black captain who has a good black relationship or a good relationship with his black son oh my god i'm tripping over myself um we bring Worf back. We have Cassidy Yates. There's just, like, a lot of black characters who are in and out of the show. Um, when you do that, it's not as horrifying when one black cast member is killed off for the purpose of a story. Um, in this show, it's just... It's so unbalanced that it's hard to ignore. And I don't know if there's, like, malice in there, but it just... It's too glaring to not notice. Um... And, like, I, I'm definitely not the person to say this, but I will because whatever. Um, Rafi is a light-skinned black woman, and I know that people in the black community have feelings about colorism, and two very dark-skinned black people were mm-hmm. very violently murdered in the show. I, I think that that's an issue to, to be aware of. Yeah, um... And I think, like, it sort of goes back in my mind to, like, the the way that Star Trek has often cast uh, people of color as aliens, yeah, right? As, yeah. as a way of kind of avoiding having to do something interesting with respect to their uh, characterization as racialized people. Um, I'm thinking of, like, for some reason I'm blanking, but Idris Elba in uh, Star Trek Beyond. Although that's, it's a, there's a bit of a spoiler that sort of qualifies the point that I'm making that I won't spoil for you if you haven't <laughs> seen that movie. Um, but it, it's a thing, right, to sort of cast um, a black actor of some renown as your villain and sort of dress them up in makeup that obscures them and sort of use uh, 
use their race as a kind of prosthetic to their to articulate something about their alienness. And right, this has often happened with the Klingons in Star Trek. Right, Klingons yeah. are often racialized people. Um, so. I don't know where I'm going with this except to say that I, I hope that this is something that they're aware of, at least. I hope that this is something that can be corrected just because it's really lazy and tired and conspicuous. Yeah. And I don't know that um, it's sustainable. Like, I, I don't know that this is something they can keep on doing without losing, you know, a cross-section of their audience and interest yeah. and kind of losing our faith in the project. Yeah, and, and part of me feels like it they are aware of it and they're trying to emphasize that, you know, racism exists in the future, maybe, you know, but I don't know that that but was I, happening. No, in the, the I, argument with the Romulan, I think in their minds, it's like uh, race blind casting well, to use a really uh, irritating term for yeah. a couple of reasons. Well, no, like I think what I'm trying to say is like, I, it's possible that they are aware of what they're doing, mm -hmm. but I don't think they're doing it well mm -hmm. so far. Uh, when, you know, your one black main cast member is, you know, smoking snake leaf on her yeah. trailer, uh, and, like, accepting the wine from Picard, uh, and, you know, in a, like, that's what makes me think that maybe they're aware of it, because that characterization, you know... I don't know that it's being handled very gracefully, let's yeah, just yeah. say. I think there's something, you know, there could we're be... we're not the experts to talk about this, no. but we do have to call it out, because I'm sure a lot of the people listening are white, there, so there let's could, just talk to each other about there it. There could be something <laughs> interesting in their one person of color cast member, up, and maybe I shouldn't say that, I, I need to think more on this, but um, there's some. there could be something interesting in thinking about class as it pertains intersectionally to race, I don't know that they're doing a thoughtful yes, enough job exactly. of it, that that characterization doesn't rise above the level of stereotype and doesn't sort of just sort of treat race as a prompt to talk about other stuff. Yeah. Um, we should probably stop there. We're over time, folks. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have opportunity to talk about yeah. thorny issues if in Star Trek If you would like again. to see some good re black representation in Star Trek, please visit... DS9. I feel like our listeners know Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's true. They've listened to our podcast just, specifically. Just keep, watch it again. About, watch all of it again. All yeah. seven seasons. So we are gonna we're gonna wrap up, uh, and conveniently, our cat whose name is Dax has just brought us a straw to play with. Yeah, she's given us a little treat, and she she doesn't actually kill mice, so it wasn't a mouse, but it was a straw, and that's lovely. And so we've got to cut this short and go play with her. <laughs> so as always, if you like us, please subscribe to us on iTunes. If you really like us, five stars would be would be nice, I think. Why not? Please listen to all of our good friends in the That Shelf podcast network, and please visit thatshelf.com, partly to visit our friends on the podcast network, read but also... Read some articles. Read some articles. You could also look at all of our previous episodes, and you yes, can listen you can. to them as they are hosted you as well. You can read a little bit about our interview with those DS9 cast members back in the day. And I will never stop talking about DS9. Yes. <laughs> uh, where can you find us, Nicole? Where can uh, we be found? I can be found in the world of Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm terrible at it, so if you want to... I mean, let's let's chat. I don't know. I'm too old for it or something. Even Anyway. Um, on Instagram, you can find me at... Niki underscore P. I've spelled it before. I'm not going to spell it again. You can find me through clicking and stuff. Um, if you want to request that I spell it next time, I, I will. Um, 
Angela. <laughs> uh, you can find me at A Moretta, and more importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at LogicalPod. Until next time, just remember, Romulan warrior nuns. They are a real thing. thing. They're a real thing, to quote <laughs> Dr. Jurati. Until next time.